Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And once again, welcome for all of those uh, of you who are here and then also church family who are tuning in online. It is a joy to be with the people of God. So Acts chapter 4, 32, and we'll actually kind of be moving into Acts chapter 5. We're in this series, Invincible Church. Now, I would say that 2020, if uh, you were playing a board, I wouldn't say board game, maybe let's just say this, if you were playing a card game and uh, 2020 was that card game and you looked at the hand that you were dealt, you would think the other person's cheating. (laughs) You know, it's just, we've got dealt a bad hand. And then I would definitely say that when you look at 2020, Even past the pandemic, particularly for Americans, you would say something is wrong with the world. I mean, you just look at the politicalization of the pandemic and how it has driven a division, even more of a division between Americans. You have the rise of drug abuse, mental illness, suicide. You have social media skirmishes around masks and lockdown and e-learning. You have the rise of racial tension. You have rioting and looting and violence in the streets of our American cities. You have this highly tense and toxic presidential race. And now we have the political battle over filling Ruth Bader Ginsburg Supreme Court seat. So whether or not you are a Christian or a non-Christian, we can kind of look at 2020 and go, man, something is wrong with the world. Now, as believers who believe the Bible and that the Bible is the word of God, we know that yes, the world has a problem. And the problem that the world has is not that they haven't watched Oprah or Dr. Phil enough. It's not that they haven't, you know, purchased more self-help books on Amazon. We know and we believe that the problem that is facing the human race has to do or has to deal with the heart. We have a sinful, bad, wicked, damaged, and diseased heart. And we must not forget that. And we must not forget that it's the heart that's the central control panel of where all of our activities and actions and attitude flow. That's the reason why, I'll just be honest with you, because we have a human heart problem, that's the reason why it really doesn't matter who we elect, we're still going to have some heart issues. It doesn't matter who we put on the Supreme Court. It, it, it doesn't matter why, because we have heart issues as human beings. And so, so, so who we put on the Supreme Court, who we put in the White House, who we put in the Senate or the Congress, that, that's not really going to make a difference in solving the human heart condition. That's why we need someone outside the human condition. And as believers, 
who again believe in God's word, we believe that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. We believe that God dealt with the human heart issue by sending his son Jesus. And those who confess their sin, who repent and turn from their sin and profess King Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are given Jesus' heart. That's why if we're going to be an invincible church, church, if we're going to be a movement that is unstoppable, if we're going to be the people of God that Satan cannot stop, then we will have to make sure that we check our heart. And in checking our heart, we're going to make sure that we are gospel-centered. In checking our heart, we're going to make sure that we are spirit-empowered. In checking our heart, we're going to make sure we are mission-oriented. Just, just so that I could continue to preach this message, even as you look at me, I wore a shirt that said, check your heart. <laughs> I know, you're the, you know, my kids are probably thinking, Dad, that's so cheesy. Well, the older you get, the cheesier you can become. Isn't that right, parents? Amen. That's right. Preach it, preacher. <laughs> but yeah, if we're going to be an invincible church, we've got to check our hearts. So here, here are the two main points we're going to flesh out this morning. And basically it's one point, but I'm going to say it in two different ways. Check your heart so that you don't corrupt his house. And check your heart so you'll consecrate his house. So check your heart so that you don't corrupt his house. Also, check your heart so you will consecrate his house. Now, we're going to go to Dr. Luke, who was actually a medical doctor. He didn't have a PhD. Like, I remember years ago when I graduated with a PhD, I told my children, hey, I'm, I'm a doctor. They're like, you're not a real doctor. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not a real doctor? I got a PhD. It's a, it's a, it's a doctorate of philosophy. Well, you don't really help people. I mean, so, but Dr. Luke, he is a medical doctor. And so we're going to go to him this morning for a heart checkup. And at this heart checkup, Luke is going to give us six tests or six heart checks that we can ask our own self to make sure that our hearts and our lives and our church is centered around King Jesus. Are you ready? Say you're ready. All right, stand up. We're going to read one verse, one verse, and then we're going to look at this story. And here we go. We're going to read it together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Let's pray. Jesus, speak to us. Word of God, speak. Mold us, shape us, conform us more into the image of yourself that we might reflect your glory. May we leave different than when we came here this morning as the result of the Spirit moving among us. For it's in your name we pray, our great God and King. Amen. You may be seated. 
So basically, I'm going to tell you the story and kind of really give you the context of Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Now, really, to get the context, you have to realize that we're not too far removed from Jesus's death and resurrection. We're not too far removed from the Spirit of God falling on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people were added to the church. We're not too far removed to where the ruling class of Jews told Peter and the rest of the disciples, you can't preach the name of Jesus. And Peter and the rest of his disciples said, okay, sue us, kill us, whatever you got to do, but we've got to, we cannot help but preach the name of Jesus. And now we come to Acts 5 and Acts 4. And what we really need to understand when it comes to this particular passage is that it's still in the early days of the church. The church is still in diapers. And we read in chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. That's a description of the early church. They were in one in heart and mind. Well, what does that mean to be one in heart? Well, it describes their unity. It describes their fellowship. It describes the fact that they viewed one another as family. And see, flowing from this oneness and this unity and this fellowship and this idea that they were family, here's what Luke notes. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. This brings us to heart check number one. And here's the question. Is what's yours his? Is what's yours his. See, see, we read that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but, but they owned it. They had the deed to their houses. They, 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 had, they had the official certificate that they owned their camel. I mean, like everything was theirs, but, but what it says, they didn't see it as theirs. It wasn't their own, for they shared everything that they had. See, I want us to realize, church, that your viewership determines your stewardship. How you view your possessions will determine how you steward your possessions. Now, how many of you have ever used the phrase, um, make yourself at home? Uh, Spanish uh, speakers would say, mi casa su casa. Now, now, you know, I've been asking Hannibal to teach me Spanish, but he's like, bro, you got to learn English first. So I'm still, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. But, but, but make yourself at home. Well, what are you saying? You're saying, hey, if, if you need something to eat, help yourself to the pantry. If you need something to drink, it's in the refrigerator. If you need to go to the bathroom, it's down the hallway on the right. If you want to make yourself comfortable, sit here on the couch. Like, in other words, what you're saying is what's mine is yours see you see we'll never get to the point of sharing here's the thing you have to teach your children to share you don't have to teach them to be stingy but but here when Jesus changes our heart he changes our perceptions of our possessions and see uh, some people they want to know well this is socialism this is communism this is what we got to get to this is anti-capitalism and here's what I would just say is that that is reading your presuppositions and your cultural context and your desires onto the text. Because it's not like Peter and the rest of the disciples are going knocking on doors saying, hey, show us your W9 because we need to put down how much we can expect from you. Right? That this is free sharing. 
You need a place to live? Here's our guest room. You need some food? We have plenty. Your, your donkey died? Here, have ours. He's stubborn as I get out, but he'll get the job done. Your camel died? Hey, we got some high mileage camels, but hey, you feel free to use it. You need some clothes? We've got plenty. You need a job? Man, I'll talk to so-and-so who owns the business and we'll find you a job. This is what it looked like in the early church They didn't own, they didn't see themselves as owning anything. They saw themselves as stewards of what God had given them. And this mutual sharing, it even went further because here's what Luke says in verse 34. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. We come to heart check number two. Here it is, heart check number two. Does your giving cut into your living? Does your giving cut into your living? See, what we see is that those who had a lot, those who had excess and those who had extra cut their excess, sold their extra to give away. Now here, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Luke isn't saying that wealth is bad. Luke isn't saying that money is bad. Luke isn't saying that you shouldn't have multiple houses. Luke isn't saying that you shouldn't own multiple cars. Luke isn't saying that you shouldn't wear nice clothes. Luke is not attacking wealth. He's not attacking money. He's not attacking having possessions. But what he is stating for us this morning, you need to check your heart and how you view your possessions, even if you have possessions of excess and extra. It's how you view. Now, like I said, you don't, you don't have to teach your kids not to share. They grow up not sharing. I have been really shocked and amazed at my older child. We have three children, uh, Caleb, Ellie, and Luke, 14, 12, and 9. I've really been shocked and amazed at my 14-year-old recently who has allowed the 9-year-old, Luke, to play his PlayStation. Now, uh, maybe he just got tired of Joni and I saying, you need to let your brother play. You, need, you know, maybe he got tired, but he's letting Luke play his PlayStation. But but here, here's, the, here's the concept that I, I've kind of thought of, though, based upon this particular verse, is we give Caleb a time allowance every day for his PlayStation. What if, after this message, because I, I want to honor the word, right, I go to Caleb and say, hey, buddy, we've given you three hours a day for your PlayStation, any time that Luke uses, it cuts into your playing time. Let me ask you this. Do you think my 14-year-old would be so excited of giving that time to Luke? No. But that's exactly what's going on here. Let me ask you this. Is your giving to the Lord and his people cutting into your living? You need to check your heart. Well, so as they sold their possessions, what did they do with the money before it was distributed? Well, we see in verse 35, they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is interesting because this is where we get heart check number three. Is your giving an act of surrender? Is your giving an act of surrender? Or in other words, is your offering out of obedience? See, there were, there were no stipulations given to the apostles. Hey, hey, we're going to give you this big check now, 
And uh, man, we, we're doing without, you, you know, some extra stuff, but, but we're going to give you this check as long as you give us a position, as long as you use it for the student ministry, as long as you use it for the young adult ministry. Uh, and there, there were no stipulations. There was no attempt to control where or how the money would be spent. Having been a pastor for years, I've had people come up to me, well, we're going to stop giving until that music's turned down. Man, wow, you need to check your heart. <laughs> Well, you know, since we're not going to be able to serve on that committee now, you, you know, well, we're just going to have to do something about it. Let me ask you this. How awkward would Christmas be this year if at every moment your child or someone that you love are opening up a present from you? Before they open it, you say, now, now before you open it, I want you to know what you need to do with this, all right? You need to take care of it. You need to play with it for about 45 minutes to, to an hour, hour and a half every single day because we spend a lot of money for it. I mean, that would be an awkward Christmas. Be, you know, people tearing up, you know, presents, you know, having stipulations, trying to control how you use, how they would use that gift. See, but the early church, their giving is an act of surrender. And then we have the example, Barnabas. His name means son of of encouragement that was his nickname because we read joseph a levite that, that was his name joseph a levite from cyprus whom the apostles called barnabas see even the apostles gave nicknames like i love nicknames like twinkle toes that's what i call my wife sometimes but but barnabas was was <laughs> that was the nickname for barnabas and he sold a field he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles feet so barnabas exemplifies this idea of seeing possessions not as his but as god's as giving being a cut into his living as giving as an act of surrender now this is so amazing is that the early church, be because of, of them checking their heart and making sure that their heart orbited around the glory of King Jesus, guess what happened? There were no needy persons among them. Now, could you imagine if that was said of the church in America, that, that in every church in America, there, there are no needy persons because of how they care for one another, how they give generously to one another. Well, what about even our church, WBC? Man, how incredible would that be to have it said there were no needy persons among them? See, here's what we learned. Come in here close. A church with healthy hearts have whole peoples. A church with healthy hearts have whole peoples. Now, Luke is going to swiftly move from highlighting the healthiness of the church kind of showing how they were of one heart and mind. And now he's going to make a transition because we see in chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, the very first word in most translations will say, but, which is a contrast, like a contrast from what has been said, but, and he's going to give you another story. And we are now introduced to a man named Ananias, which means God is merciful. Now, obviously, Ananias and Sapphira, they had a lot of money. They were well off. They had extra property that they could sell. And we, we see that they do sell it. Now, what, what property was it? I don't know. Maybe it was their, maybe it was their lake house on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> maybe it was their Airbnb in downtown Jerusalem. I don't know. I mean, but they sold their, their property. And here's what Luke tells us. With his wife's full knowledge... 
He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, it's interesting because this is a little bit different than Barnabas. Here we see that Ananias kept back. Now, that word for kept back means to steal, misappropriate funds, or embezzle. So, so how in the world did Ananias sell his own property but yet embezzle something and misappropriate funds and steal. Well, undoubtedly, he had arranged with the church leaders to sell this property and give all of the profits to the church. Now, why? Why does he embezzle? Why does he steal? Why does he misappropriate the funds? I I don't know. Maybe the economy was booming and and property values were skyrocketing. He's like, man, there's a lot of money. Let me just keep back some for himself. Maybe he's he's like, Sapphire, we kind of need a a new deck, don't we? Hey, just maybe we take just a little bit and we'll give the rest to, uh, hey, you know, Sapphire, man, I was just, you know, baby, I was just thinking that, you you, you know, uh, our daughter, she's a senior in high school and she's wanting to go to the University of Jerusalem and you know how much tuition is for University of Jerusalem hey we we got more than what we thought let's just keep back a little portion and we'll use it for her tuition you know baby uh you know there's a our our camel man it's it's high mileage it's about five years old I mean I think we need a new camel camel but but we got a lot of money you know but but we don't know why but here's what we ultimately do know He kept it back because he was selfish. He kept it back because he loved himself. He loved money. Therefore, he was stingy and greedy, which leads to heart check number four. Am I pretending to deliver what I promised? Am I pretending to deliver what I promised? Like I said, undoubtedly he had arranged to give the entire proceeds or profit from the sale of land to the apostles and so when he had this change of mind I mean all he needed to do was to go up to Peter and go Peter I know I know I said I was going to do this but man some things have changed in my life do you mind if I do like he could have asked for permission he could have shared but but he doesn't do that he conceals he embezzles and he gives the money as if he's giving all of the money Now, when you think about the two words, embezzle and lie, these words carry the connotation of concealment. You see, when someone lies, they are portraying the fact that they are truth tellers and they're telling you the truth, but it's a fake truth. It's a lie. And then when someone embezzles, here's the thing. I've never seen a job description that says, please embezzle funds whenever you can. Have you ever seen one of those job descriptions? No. But someone who embezzles funds, what are they doing? They're concealing how they are stealing those funds. And then they're coming to work every day as if they're this, you know, picture-perfect employee. And see, Ananias, he's promised radical generosity, but he, deep down in his heart, is greedy. Now, before we throw Ananias under the bus, I really do want to, un, you know, really do want to just unveil to all of us that we are like Ananias. We are guilty because we pretend to deliver on promises. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think first, well, we kind of do it like Ananias. We promise to do something, but we cover it up and we act like we have done it. 
The Bible teaches that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. All right, so if you say that you're going to do something, do it. And if you don't do it, just own up to it. Don't act like you did it. Just own up to it. Profess, you know, confess. But second, I believe that it, it applies to the realm of the entire Christian life. See, when you and I, if you are a believer, you and I, at some point in our life, we confessed our sin, we repented of our sin, and we professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, as King and Savior over our life. And the Bible teaches that we entered into a covenant relationship with King Jesus. And in that covenant relationship, we said, Jesus, you are our King. Our life will revolve around you. Everything that we say, everything that we do will orbit around you. We live for you. We give you ourself. That was the promise that you made when you repented of your sin and you professed Jesus as king. Now, we have a daughter, like I said, Ellie, and she is notorious for a dirty room like notorious for a dirty room. The other day we had a plumber in our house because we had a leak coming from uh, the upstairs. And so he's trying to find the leak. And so we busted up into Ellie's room because her room uh, is, is right next to the bathroom. And, and I really wasn't embarrassed because, hey, it's a 12-year-old girl. I mean, like, what are you going to do? But we busted up in her room and you couldn't see the carpet. Like there was no carpet in sight. There were clothes, there were pictures, there were pins all over. I mean, like everywhere in her room. And so, well, after Plumber Joe, after he left, I told Ellie, I said, Ellie, uh, baby, you need to clean your room. And so she was supposed to be cleaning her room. A couple hours later, she comes downstairs. She's like, uh, mom, dad, I'd love to go downtown with my friends, downtown Wheaton. And, and I said, baby, is your room clean? She's like, yes, it's clean. And I said, are you sure it's clean? She's like, I promise it's clean. And I said, well, we'll see about that. So I go up in her room, I open up the door. Sure, I can see some carpet, that's great. But I also see the Panda Express cup. I also see her desk is just, I mean, just, I mean, it just looks like a tornado went through her desk still. And I said, baby, you, you haven't really cleaned your room. You have straightened it up, but you haven't cleaned it. Let me ask you this. How many Christians don't deliver on their promise of cleaning their rooms? They just straighten it up. It's good enough. See, I'm afraid, and this is again, I'm afraid that many Christians, they end up pretending to deliver on their promise of living wholeheartedly to Jesus. And then they waltz around like, man, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm dandy. I mean, everything's great in my life. There are definitely many, many areas that I could touch on, but, but here are some where I would say Christians haven't cleaned their room, they've just straightened it up. Sexuality, marriage, finances, time, and attitude, and here's one, politics. And here's the thing, if we just straighten up our room and we don't allow the spirit to clean it, but we pretend that it's clean, what it eventually does is puts a bad taste in the mouth of an unbelieving world. That's why Brennan Manning, he would say, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. So Ananias, he pretends. 
But then, as he lays the money at the feet of Peter, the Spirit of God gives Peter some discernment and it prompts and the spirit of God prompts Peter to say these words how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit now could you imagine you're Ananias you feel good about yourself like you just sold this property I mean you walk in into church man I'm about to drop a big check they're gonna love me and so you drop that big check and then Peter says that and you're thinking oh my gosh what's up with Peter Man, what got into into Peter? And and so as Peter is saying all these words and lecturing you, I could imagine that Ananias, he's kind of planning his case of defense. Well, wasn't that bad, Peter? Good night. It's It's my money. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, Peter, don't you think you're going a little overboard? Satan filled your heart, lied to the Holy Spirit. Come on, man, chill. What I did was harmless. See, Peter's confrontation to Ananias, it teaches us about heart check number five. And here it is. Do I see my small sins as insignificant to God? What was his sin? Well, I mean, you could say it in multiple ways. Greed, selfishness, pride, he lied. These are common sins. It's not like Ananias murdered somebody. It's not like he committed adultery on Sapphira. These are common sins, greed, selfishness, pride, lied. See, what Ananias failed to realize is that God is serious about sin. Church, God is serious about sin. It doesn't matter how small, how insignificant you think It is, it doesn't matter how big, it doesn't matter if it's sins of omission or commission, God is serious about sin. How do we know that, Josh? Well, I mean, obviously, he's so serious, he's he's going to kill Ananias. He's going to take him out. Ananias isn't even going to have have an opportunity to repent. But I would say most, uh, most importantly, God sent his son Jesus to deal with sin. And Jesus just didn't die for the mega sins. He died also for the micro sins. You know, some might say, well, man, why did God respond so intensely? Didn't he go overboard? Well, actually, God has a track record of doing this. What about Adam and Eve? All all Eve did was bite from a tree, uh, fruit from a tree, but he kicked Adam and Eve out. What about Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10? they they, They offered unauthorized fire. God killed them. What about Achan? Uh, All he did was take some spoils from the war, the conquest of the land, hit them in his tent. He and his family, boom, died. God killed them. What about Saul? All he did was, I mean, he he just became impatient and he offered some sacrifices before the pastor, the priest got there. But God said, it stops with you. Kingdom stops with you. See, it seems that God sets the precedent early on in his movements that he is in charge. You cannot live your own life. It's my life now. I'm in charge. (laughs) You know, in over 38 years, I've been kicked out of a few things in my life. One, I've been kicked out of my seventh grade science class. You know why I got kicked out of my seventh grade science class? I was playing pencil break. I mean, pencil break, pencil break. Like, I got kicked out of science class for playing pencil break before class began. I got kicked out. I'm not happy about this, not proud of this, but I've, I've gotten uh, kicked out of uh, a couple of different church basketball games before because I was mouthing off to the Sunday school teacher. 
I doubt that they frown upon that. I've been kicked out of Best Buy in uh, Manhattan, New York, because I was trying to witness to one of the employees years ago. <laughs> and in all those cases when I got kicked out, the reason why I got kicked out is because basically I, bro- I broke the rules or the policies of the class or of the game or of the store. And I could have yelled all day long, that's unfair, that's unfair. But at the end of the day, it wasn't mine. It wasn't my class, it wasn't my game, it wasn't my store. See, at the end of the day, hey, it's not your life. It's God's life. It's his house. So it's his rules. And let's just play it out to logical conclusion. What if God just let things slide? What if he just ignored sin? The micro sins at least. Well, again, not to be controversial. I know this isn't a warm, fuzzy message. (laughs) But over the last few months, I've seen... These riots and looting and violence throughout our cities here in America. And there are some cities I'm like, where, where are the police? Now, I, I know that the whole kind of rioting and protest, they're, they're saying because of police brutality. But, but here's the thing that we know. Again, I'm not trying to be controversial. But when you don't have law and order, when there are no punishments or consequences to breaking rules and breaking laws, all you do is embolden the lawbreaker. All you do is embolden the rule breaker. So let's play it out to its logical conclusion. If God didn't deal with sin, if church leaders don't deal with sin then what you end up having in the church house is a group of people who look just like the world and then therefore we have no salt anymore and therefore we are not the light of the world you see small things left unchecked grow into large things Just a few weeks ago, the New York Times ran the following article. A gender reveal celebration is blamed for a wildfire. It isn't the first time. Do you know what happened at that gender reveal party? They kind of let off some type of firework that was supposed to reveal the gender. But then a wildfire ensued, destroying 20,000 acres and taking the life of a firefighter. Listen, small things matter. And small sinners matter to God. So here's my big question for you and for me. What small sin is in our life that we don't think is a big deal? So now, the story progresses. The interns, they, they bury Ananias because God takes him out. That, that's, that's your job description if you're an intern at the early church. And then Sapphira comes to look for Ananias. She can't find him. He hadn't been home. She goes to the church, and Peter confronts her. And uh, not, hey, how are you doing? But here's what he says. Did you and Ananias sell the property for this price? Moment of truth. Do you know what Sapphira responds back saying? Yes, that is the price. Ah! <laughs> Wrong answer, which leads us to heart check number six. And at this point, I'm going to call the band up because we're going to have a time of repentance. Heart check number six is this. Do you have a hard heart that prohibits a change of mind? Do you have a hard heart that prohibits a change of mind? You see, Sapphira, she had the opportunity to repent, which means change your mind. But with her answer, we see a hard heart. It wasn't soft, it was hard. 
Do you know that there is one other person whom it was said that Satan had influenced him, filled his heart, and that was Peter when he denied Jesus. But you see, God doesn't kill Peter. Why? It's a soft heart. It's a repentful heart. It's a heart that easily changes the mind because the Spirit of God is at work. Listen, church, is that our heart? Is that our heart? If not, let's check our heart this morning.